Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks Nership podcast. Today, my guest is Kim Corvin, who is a former judge and family lawyer turned mediation consultant who helps people navigate conflict in relationships. So everything from you know, divorce through to family conflict and how to resolve that in the most effective and least contentious way. So welcome, Kim. So happy to have you here on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. This is a real thrill. So the first question I want to ask you is, you know, typically when relationships go south and specifically, okay, I'm thinking here about like divorce. Let's dig in on divorce for a minute because I think this is one that everybody not everybody, but a lot of my audience will resonate with. But typically when when a relationship goes south, our first instinct is lawyer up, right? Like go get yourself a lawyer. In fact, I belong to a Facebook group of midlife women and the amount of conversation that goes on in that group about marital conflict and the advice given is get yourself a good lawyer. So tell me, why did you step away from the law? you were doing, you know, that conflict resolution within the confines of a law degree, and now you're not. What prompted you to step away from taking a legal approach to conflict resolution? Well, it's interesting because it actually, I mean, I'm a great conflict avoider. Mm. I remember when I was a teenager, my sister wanted to borrow a pair of my pants, my little sister, and she kept asking, and I kept saying no. And I was very, very territorial. And I finally said to her, look, you ask one more time and I'm going to take my socks off and I'm going to stuff them in your mouth. And I was competitive judo. So, you know, I could carry through on my threat. Well, she was quiet for maybe 10 minutes and then she asked again. (laughs) And you know what happened, right? Passive aggressive. I had zero conflict resolution skills. So I, I just, I loved the law. And I actually ended up in law school because I was taken by a timeshare. And that's a whole other story. And I didn't want to be taken again. So I go to law school and it's fabulous. You know, you have this impartial person who sits up here who makes the decision and there's no emotions. It's just very matter of fact. And I thought, this is great. Until my first small claims trial. And it involved, I had to sue a landowner because my client had built a fence on this property. And they'd had a deal. And the deal was that the landowner would repay for materials and my because my client had family members living there. Mm-hmm. And we were successful except the court. And I was ecstatic, right? I'm successful in court. Woohoo! But the judge discounted 5%. Mm-hmm. And my client, I like I'm excited, I'm happy. And my client was mad. The judge didn't listen to me, right? The judge got it wrong. How dare he do this? He didn't hear anything I said. And so there was all this talk of an appeal. And I'm like, what's going on? And so I pondered this quite a bit. And the one time when I was talking to my client, and it was within the 30-day appeal period, and I said, 
didn't you? And I had thought back to my first conversation with him about his why. And so I said, didn't you build that fence to keep your grandchildren safe? Because it was his daughter and his grandkids living there and it was a busy street. Mm. And does, he was, does the 5% really matter in that, in that scenario, right? Exactly. So yeah. then he was perfectly fine. And, and for me, it was the first kind of wake up call of, oh, maybe court isn't the best way. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, you were conflict avoidant, because I think a lot of people like think that by getting like getting into the legal system, that they're going to remove the emotion and put some level of objectivity on whatever scenario is taking place. When I think it's almost like trying to bypass the emotion of the situation, when, in my opinion, and tell me what you think from your experience, it's impossible to bypass the emotion of any situation right? Like you might get to some legal groundwork, but the emotion is still there. And it, it, that's so true, right? And I mean, that was certainly me, this objectivity would be great because I didn't know how to deal with feelings. Right. And what happens when the emotions aren't dealt with, you don't get happy people at the end, right? It right. was like that client, the whole legal process, what was important to him completely disappeared. Yeah. So even though he won, and I mean, and it was two figures, like this was small claims court a long time ago. Right. The difference was two figures. It wasn't thousands of dollars. Right. Right. And, and he was upset, right? Because somebody else made the decision and because he didn't, his story was never really told. Mm -hmm. The heart of it, never it was like it. the heart of it never existed. And I know when I realized my marriage wasn't working and I'd practiced family law and there I was going, and I'd never thought about it, but then it, until I was in the situation, it was like, I can't do that to my kids. Because the legal system, and it's interesting, like our, our divorce system was actually modernized in 1857, <laughs> right? You know, like, because oh, in boy. Canada, we have the British, and that was Saskatchewan, right? But Ontario, in Ontario until 1968, people still had to apply, get a member of parliament to bring a private member's bill in the House of Commons, right? Like there right. was nothing. And in Saskatchewan, well, you went to court because that was what the big change was in Britain in 1857. What court is, it was designed, you know, for people with property. It was designed for property disputes, not human mm. disputes. So it's very, very adversarial, right? Right. I'm here, you're there. A winner and a loser. And it's just about legal rights right. and responsibilities. And the other thing is you don't take any responsibility mm. for your actions because oh, that'll be used against you. So for example, if you buy a car privately, there ends up being problems and you have to sue the person, the vendor. You're saying, hey, this car, you know, the engine went within the first 30 days. And so, you know, you as the vendor hadn't done this, hadn't, you know, failed to maintain. And the vendor in response denies all that and says, no, 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 no. You were driving that vehicle excessively. It was a teenager who was spinning their tires, revving the engine too high. This is not on me. This is on you. Prove it. Right? right. And that's okay in that kind of commercial situation. But when you have two people who loved each other and who have children together, 
and one is saying and you know i mean i mean divorce now is usually well we've stopped living together you don't have to have an ugly reason mm -hmm. and you used to have to have an ugly reason right. to divorce right. even till 1985 that's in canada so what happens is yeah divorce itself there's not a lot to fight over but where you see it coming up is oh well, this person wasn't a good dad or wasn't a good mm -hmm. mom or this person could have earned more money mm -hmm. and it's very accusatory like the other person has done something wrong mm -hmm. and look at me i'm a saint right it's how the game's played and it turns things into world war three yeah so i knew that and it was like i can't do that to my kids right right yeah so i mean i had a very similar experience and i've come to see you know so my divorce was amicable and i'm people listening i'm saying this in air quotes because is any divorce really amicable there's always hurt involved <laughs> right mm -hmm. always yeah. right but we made a decision very early on that we were going to make this as easy and smooth for everybody because it wasn't like both of us said this isn't just between us it's our kid it's also our families who were very intertwined right and we're not going to pit anybody against everybody and so you know before we decided to go to a lawyer we said we sat down and kind of came to an agreement like okay we sat down probably four times because every time it would get heated and then we would both be like okay retreat yeah <laughs> no we, that's it took it was a process of months because one of uh, the other of us would get bent out of shape but honestly like when i compare what i my own experience of my divorce and my ex-husband and i are still very very good friends we do family events together and everything when i compare that to some of the contentious very very heavily contentious divorces that I saw with my friends to the point that some people have been divorced for 10 and 15 years and there's still a huge amount of animosity. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, well, did that really work if there's still 10 years later, yeah. all of this hate and animosity, right? Like, and you know what it feels like, of course, when it happens to you, I mean, we have all watched the Disney movies mm -hmm. and the fairy tales and they lived happily ever after. Right. And there's, of course, this well of shame when your marriage doesn't work and you feel like a failure. And I think to short circuit the emotions and, and to distance them, people think, well, I'm going to run to a lawyer and that will protect my tender heart right yeah. now. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. it doesn't work. So how do you, because I think you just made a really interesting point, right? So you have a person or two people who are feeling shame that they couldn't make this thing work. You may have one person who has asked for the divorce and the other person who's feeling hurt. So like, it's a really huge commingle of all kinds of guilt, shame, hurt, <laughs> fear, right? Like the fear mm -hmm. of, okay, if it's not this, how do you help people resolve all of those emotions so that you can get to a place where something feels like it's amicable well, at best <laughs> well and and i mean and and i'm going to build on something you said you mm -hmm. know about you and your former spouse sat down about four times over a period of months and that is when we're feeling the shame and like a failure we forget our own power and really all divorce is is the end of a marriage right and that's something that the courts have to decide but everything else is life stuff right like where are the children going to live how are we going to, you know, who's going to pay for what for the kids and, and what's a fair amount and, and how do we equalize what we accumulated? How do we share the stuff? And if people can think about it from that perspective, they're much more like be able to sit down 
And I know I talked to a woman once and she and her former spouse had had done it without any help, but they always had a picture of their son on the table when they were talking. Mm, and I sad. thought that, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. And, and it's, if people can remember, remember that. And, and the thing about the court, yes, it's subjective, but I know my situation and my spouse didn't want a divorce. Right. <laughs> and so I kind of had everything in play. This is what we're going to do. And I was very careful in how I told him and yada, yada. But I didn't say to him, oh, the tables say you need to be paying X number of dollars of child support. Well, I said, you know, according to the tables and the law, you're supposed to be paying me child support. But hey, you're paying the mortgage, the mortgage and property taxes are coming out of your bank account. So how about you just keep making those payments instead of you giving me the money and then me paying like that's just awkward. So he felt less, less rejection. Like looking back on it, I'm like, oh. Yeah, that's interesting because, so for those of you listening, especially my US listeners in Canada, and I don't know if this is the same as in the US, I don't know if you know this, but they have what's called an equal, correct me if I'm wrong, equalization, where the, the child support guidelines tables. Yeah. yeah, or, you know, or where, where one person has to pay the other in order to make sure that both people come out equal, that one person doesn't walk away with everything and somebody has mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. And at the time that I got divorced on paper, so my husband had a business, the way his business was structured, his income didn't really show. And on paper, I was the higher earner. So according to this table, which is purely objective, I basically would have had to pay him so much money that I would not have been able to afford to live. And so when my lawyer told me this, I went directly to my ex-husband and I said, here's what the table says. I mean, if you wanted to do this, you totally could. Right. And he just looked at me. He said, Oh my goodness, there's no way I would ever do that. Right. But I I wanted to take that conversation out of the legal situation and like, let's sit down, you and me face to face. Right. Well, because talk about this. When you've been like, and most people don't really care about the strict interpretation of the law. How's that for something strange for? From a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm not a lawyer anymore. Okay. But, but, but yeah. Right. This strict interpretation, they want to be fair. Right. Yeah, I think most people do. Yeah. And so, and most people, because they're uncomfortable with the whole emotions, like most people in in my chair, they'll lead with property discussion. Mm -hmm. And then it takes forever. And it's because they haven't dealt with the emotions. Right. I actually lead with, we basically craft a eulogy to the relationship. Oh, that's interesting. Because there's been a death in the family. There's been a death. Yes. And when people remember, oh yeah, you know, like, and it's what, what were the high points? And often there's common high points. Well, there always are. And what's really fun is when people remember some of the little things that they've never actually talked about, but looking back, they're both laughing about the experience. And so there's this sense of connection again. And especially if there are kids, it really helps to lay that foundation you know, to, to keep the kids front and center. So it's just, and I do the divorce work and I I mean like mediation, but I also work sometimes with one spouse who's having trouble leaving Mm. and it's this roller coaster off and yeah, we're back together. No, we're apart, but it's all okay. And at the end of the day, they're feeling much more empowered about, oh yeah, yeah, this is my decision and I understand. And, And it's really great to help them stand in their power. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. And I love that you you do that where you like and how you phrase it, the, like a eulogy to the, to the relationship. Because like, if you think about it, I've been to a lot of funerals lately. So this is top of mind for me. You know, the eulogy always talks about the highlights of the person's mm-hmm. life, right? And like, it doesn't go deep into the, she did this wrong in this year. And then in this, right? <laughs> or was it drunk? You know, it might be, oh, was the life of the party. Right, exactly. Right? right. But we, I think it's a much more healthy place to grieve from. Because you can't escape a relationship without grief, like for everything that you've lost, even the future that you've lost, right? So when you can have a place to grieve that comes from the highlights of the relationship, that feels so much more, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, so much more, so much easier, maybe. I mean, grief is never easy, but at least, you know, you're grieving that as opposed to it being grief mired in anger, which then like complicates the whole process. Well, and the other thing that's really interesting in going through that process is in most situations, the high points were in the early years. Mm-hmm. So it takes this me against you out of it because it's like, oh, we start, we stopped focusing on us as a couple. Yeah. So it's a very powerful exercise. And then I also, when people are really stuck, I have a little, I created a ritual for people to do with yarn because when you think about our life, like humans, ritual is part of who we are. Mm -hmm. And there's rituals, right? For like just about everything. And you mentioned funeral, that's one ritual, but there's no ritual for divorce that people actually participate in. It's this court battle, which is outside of them and foreign and... Mm -hmm really icky. So this ritual actually really helps when people are stuck. It's great. So what is the ritual? Can you describe it? Well, I have balls of yarn Mm -hmm. and I have many colors. So the people, I have them choose a ball of yarn for each of them and their children and to cut longer pieces for them, fold them in half. And then you, they tie them, they tie their color and their spouse's color together. And they talk about the wedding day and their hopes and dreams. And then the kids yarn get tied to the strings, the ends for the parents. So you end up like with this circle mm-hmm. and talk a bit about their kids. And And then I have scissors and they cut the knot, their knot and share their feelings. But you're left with them with this long string and they're still, instead of them having this direct connection, they're connected via their kids right? It isn't an end of a relationship. It's changing the shape. Right. And the focus. Right. And I had one couple, he was really struggling with it. And I brought my dull kitchen shears. And that happens to be the scissors he grabbed to cut the knot. And he just, he had to work so hard to do it. And I thought, that's very appropriate. circumstances. Yeah, because that's interesting, like, because you're never especially well, if you have kids, maybe if you don't have kids, you can completely sever the relationship. But if you if there's children involved, your relationship continues, albeit Mm -hmm. in a different form, right? And I think a lot of people forget that because, Well, well, there's no space for that when you treat it like a legal action, right? It's designed to sever the relationship is doesn't matter at all. It's irrelevant. And that is like the relationship is the most important part. The property is immaterial. I mean, exactly. in the grand scheme of life, the property, like nobody's going to go on their deathbed and be like, oh, I own this really nice car and this really nice house, right? 
it's all the talk. I mean, and like I said, I've been to a lot of funerals lately. Mm-hmm. The talk mm-hmm. is all about the relationships that people had and how they made people feel and, and things like that. Like, and being able to keep that in sight, right. To not get lost in the property discussion. Like I had one friend who spent five years in courts over property and like between the two of them, I'm, they must've spent, I don't even know, like a million dollars or more. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is what happens when you go to a lawyer, they never ask you, where do you want to be in a year? What do you want your life to be like? Oh, good point. <laughs> and I ask that question now. Right. Because then it's the backstop for all the discussion. Well, you said this. Right. How is what you're doing getting you there? there. And I used to, when I practiced law, I would always say to my clients, well, do you want to have money for your kids or do you want to pay me? Right. And for some reason, then they'd be reasonable. Yeah. Well, because, you know, like the way that my ex-husband and I did it, I mean, we basically laid out the separation agreement, like, like I said, over those meetings over months, yeah. right? We laid it out. And then I took it to the lawyer and I said, here, make it legal. Right. And she said to me at the end, you know, and I think I mentioned this to you before, yeah. she said to me at the end, like, if all my cases, divorce cases were like yours, I would not be in business. And I was like, okay, I was doing something right here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I know, like I drafted my own separation agreement. And when I took it to a lawyer, she had a fit because my kids were young and it didn't mention custody. And I explained to her the very cogent reasons why it could not mention custody, why it said I was the primary caregiver. Oh, Kim, you know, it was like, and and lawyers think worst possible outcome. And there's no shutoff valve to what's reasonable or not. It's part of being a zealous advocate for your client. So she's doing her job and telling me how this is going to go offside. And my gut is telling me if custody's in the agreement, we're going to be fighting in court for at least five years. So in the end, I said, well, can't you just draft a letter that I'm signing this against your professional advice and I can never sue you or the firm? Right. And so that's what happened. And I remember holding the pen and being so mad, you know, because I felt like I'm being treated like I'm eight years old. Yeah. Like that I don't know what's best for me. And I, you know, and I thought then like, I'm part of the system. I understand the risks and I'm feeling like this. And for the average person who's going through divorce and is feeling raw and like a failure, they're going to go, well, my marriage failed. I, you know, the confidence is in the toilet and they'll go, well, my lawyer's the expert and I'm paying them and I better do what they say. And then there's a war. Right. Yeah. Because that, alluding back to something that you said a little while ago about, you know, giving your power away, right? Like if you know, you know, to be able to go into your lawyer and say, this is how I want this to play out, right? You know, like I want it to be, you know, amicable. I want relationships intact at the end of it, right? Like to be able to have that power to guide your lawyer as opposed to, and I think you just said this, right? Like most lawyers grab you by the nose and lead you through the process without even like they have no view to your relationship or who the, who the human beings yeah. are behind this, right? Including the children, right? So to be able to go into the situation, and this comes back to something that I talk about all the time is having a vision for your life, for mm. everything in your life. Like, yeah. how do I want this to be? And use that vision, like front and center in everything that you do. And like you said, is the action I'm taking now aligning with that vision, right? Mm-hmm. So, so critically important. Well, and it's interesting because when people are going through divorce, they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, how do you want to feel? Well, I want to be more calm. And I'm like, that's perfect. You don't need to know 
the specifics. And I know like my goal through my divorce was for my kids to have the best relationship possible with their dad. And so that was my North Star. And I knew it would take about five years and it did. And all is well, you know, and which gets back to something you said about, you know, like the four discussions over months. It's not going to happen overnight. And doing it really fast, of course, doesn't make the pain go away. No. Doing it well is what lessens the pain. Yeah. When you take your power back and, and you're not pointing fingers, it's so much healthier. Yeah, because you need to get away from that. There's a winner and there's a loser, right? Because generally conflict says that for any battle you go into, somebody wins, somebody loses, right? And if somebody walks away from the table feeling like they've lost. (laughs) But the reality is in divorce or in any legal action, right? Like my client, that client I mentioned, he felt like a loser, even though he won. Mm, Right, right, exactly. Right, the reality is either everybody wins or everyone loses. Yeah. And by everyone, that isn't just the two people who are trying to figure things out. It's their close circle too. So with divorce, it's the kids and it's the in-laws and all of it. Mm -hmm. The friend group. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's just go back to conflict avoidance for a second, because I want to touch on something that I know you talk about, which is that how to tell my husband I want a divorce, right? Like, I think so many of us and correct me if I'm wrong, like, this is probably the hardest initiating the hardest conversation we're ever going to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? How do we do that? Like, where do we start with that? So I actually like I have a divorce script, I've prepared. So there's eight questions for people to answer. And it's basically what I went through. And I'm going by memory here, but right. But like, when was the last time you went on a date? And when was the first time you really knew that, oh, this wasn't going to work? And that will have been years and years before. And it's part of the piece too, is your best memories. Like I remember when I actually told him sharing one of the best memories and saying, you know, we haven't, there haven't been any memories like that in a long time. And how we're not bringing out the best in each other. And this is all in in the script, okay? Okay, we'll make sure that's in the show notes, yeah. Yeah, but we're not bringing out, and of course, I'm in the midst of morphing from one website to another. So afterwards, I'll I'll share a couple websites so that people can find it. Perfect. But you know, like our kids deserve more. Our kids deserve us at our best. And what are we teaching them? Living in this house where we're not happy together. We're not setting a good example. Yeah. And I love this again, that you come from this place of leading with, you know, like the good memory, right? So like you're entering into this conversation because, okay, you walk into a room, you look at your spouse, you blurt out, I want a divorce. And you've caught them completely off, you know, they're making dinner, drinking coffee, reading the paper, like whatever it is. Right. And you've literally just like shocked them (laughs) into some like kind of awakening, which is like jarring, right? Like it's, it's, trauma almost (laughs) well and and i mean it's almost like divorce is an sti or that we're unhappy in our marriage is is an sti so that it does come as this really big surprise and what was interesting i used to run a divorce a support group for women and fabulous discussions and at the one i confessed that i used to in my marriage hope that my husband would ride his bicycle into a semi (laughs) 
I thought that would be the best outcome. And I thought I was the only woman who'd ever had thoughts like that until the, at that divorce support group. And there were all these other women who were, oh yeah, yeah, me, it was this, me, it was that. But you're, you end up in such a dark place and you don't even see it. And it was a 90-year-old friend. When I told her that, she just looked at me and said, oh. And I said to her, is that bad? And she just nodded her head, yes. And I think that was the defining moment for me in terms of what I'm doing isn't working. And it was still over a year. And of course, that's the other thing with approaching divorce, like it's never happened before in life at all to anyone. We don't know. We don't share the stories that most women have been seriously thinking about it for three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years before they take action. Right. And it's all okay. The right time is when you actually do it. Right. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Because I mean, I think to people, you know, you hang on to the shred of hope, right? Like, okay, you know, it's not working. You know, it's not working for you, but you hang on to the shred of hope that maybe something will happen next week, next month, next year, right? And then you continue like, and you waste years and months of your life just hoping that something's going to happen to change it. Well, and, and the other thing I remember actually doing was thinking about this very logically thinking about the span of our relationship and going, okay, what were the good times? How much time were they? And what were the mediocre times? And how much time has been really yucky? And that was like, oh, you know, you can't hide from that when you actually look at it and go, okay. Right, mm -hmm. right. Well, I mean, I therein lies the popularity of all of those, you know, divorce books, should I stay? And what is it? It's too bad to stay too good to go. That was a book that was out for a long, long time. And I think everybody was reading it. <laughs> well, and there's a, there's a book I need to read and it's by Angie Duke. I think her name is, and it's called Quit. And I just listened to an interview of her on a podcast and fascinating about how, why we have a hard time quitting and why we stay too long. Mm, interesting. And I thought, oh, yeah. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about family conflict. And I want to touch on this subject because I think, you know, over the last couple of years, pandemic, political climate, there's been a lot of kind of dissenting opinions that I have seen personally go down into families and cause major rifts, right? Like people pitting each other. I think our whole society has become that way, actually, pitting people against each other over beliefs and views on things. And now there's, I see this, thing where people are like, oh, really, it's not worth it, right? But how do I go about repairing this relationship? So, you know, I've ostracized, ostracized somebody from my family or we're not speaking. What are the steps that I can take to kind of get at least a foot in the door to open a conversation with, with that family member? So you need to show them grace, really. And the first step is recognizing that the person is more important than the position either of you has taken, mm. right? And most likely, if you think back, it hasn't been the first time you've had a disagreement. Now, something I do with my clients is a little exercise to get them realizing how they react to change, what their response is to change. Mm -hmm. And I would challenge the listeners, you know, take something, right? There's my customer care plan for my tires. But to take it and take a pen and paper and write what you see with your opposite hand. Mm, interesting. 
and then write down the three words, how you feel using the pen in your opposite hand. And you'll have how you feel about change. And most people respond awkward, messy, stupid, slow, frustrating, you know. And when you have that context, you can start to realize, oh, I was reacting this way. That's in me. Like I was feeling frustrated and I lashed out. Right. And why I say to actually go through the exercise and do it is there will be a level of sincerity there. Right. That the other person will get. That if you just say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I, I got frustrated, they're going to give you the finger. Right. But it is, so it's recognizing your role, right? This relationship is important. And so when you recognize your role and go, you know, I don't really need to be right on this. Like I remember when I was little and my mom smoked cigarettes and my brother and I had posters all over the house to get her to quit smoking. They never worked. Like your version of the facts is not going to change anybody's opinion. And if you can right. accept that, right? Like that's just, and it was interesting. I actually, I ran away from law for a few years and I worked with farmers. And one of the farmers I worked with, he made a sexist comment to me at this one stage. And this is when I'm still a conflict avoider and I don't know how to deal with it. And I need to have a re working relationship with him. And I don't even want to look at him. And I didn't want to destroy the relationship between the other farmers who were part of the group. So it was like, what am I going to do? And I've, I decided to be curious. What did he have to teach me? So instead of coming at it from the place of upset, it was this place of curiosity. And he was actually like his meetings with his farmer volunteers. They'd start on time. And I remember once being there at one of his meetings and they were in this middle of a discussion, really great discussion. And he looks at his watch and goes, well, it's eight o'clock. It's time to adjourn. Meeting adjourned. Off. <laughs> you know, I, I need a motion to adjourn. And I'm like, how can you thinking it's horrible? But he had way more participation than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. He was acting with integrity. This is when we start. This is when we stop. And nobody was upset. And I'm like, okay, this is what he's here to teach me. Right. And it, it transformed everything. And of course, with a family upset, likely there's a really great memory with that family member. And if you can share that, and it doesn't have to be in person, right? You could send a letter. Right. Emails and texts, I would say, mm, but a handwritten note, you know, and what I, way back when as a baby lawyer, I had a client who wasn't paying my bill and he was one of a set of four. The other three had paid, he refused. And it was the first year, it was Christmas was coming. It was the first year I got to send Christmas cards. And my client list was about <laughs> maybe six names long, likely 20. But these people were four. They were a significant portion of my client list. And I was so excited. I wanted to send Christmas cards to absolutely everyone. But there was this problem I didn't want to send to him. Right. And I thought his buddies are going to think I'm a jerk because they'll talk. And if they find out I didn't send one to him, then I'm going to lose points with them. I don't want to seem like a jerk. So I sent him a Christmas card when secretly I was dreaming of suing him, getting a default judgment, sending the sheriff to seize his 68 Camaro that was, he told me was parked in his garage. And a couple, I don't know when, the receptionist, hey, Kim, come, you know, called me up. Can you come to reception? Sure. And it was the jerk was there. And he said, you know, Kim, you're the first lawyer 
who's ever sent me a Christmas card. And I was being a real jerk to you. And you sent me a Christmas card. I am so sorry. And I'm here to pay my bill. Interesting. eh? Yeah. Doing what's right. And I think at the heart of family upset, it's doing what's right and keeping in mind it's the relationship that's important. You're not going to make amends overnight. It's going to be a journey. Right. Um, And I I think something really important that you just said, and this is something that I personally have adopted, is giving up the need to be right. I honestly think the need to, and this is part of being human, so Mm -hmm. the need to be right causes more conflict, I think, than anything and causes more division than anything. Because sometimes I'll find even, you know, with my partner, right, like we'll be, you know, disagreeing about something. And then I'll say to myself, like, like, why do I need to be right? Right. And is that more important than the thing that we're talking about or the relationship or whatever? Right. I mean, and this has been a practice of years. Like I learned it actually from my spiritual mentor, like probably four or five years ago. And like that single handedly has changed my relationships with people, like with my daughter, even. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Why do I need to be right about this particular thing? And, you know, the thing like I'll say to my kids, too, is separate the love from the behavior. You're not always going to like the person's behavior. You're always going to love them. Exactly. That's a really good point. Uh, Right. But it is. Yeah, the need, I I agree, that need to be right, it gets us in so much trouble. So much trouble, because we're digging in, and because there's ego involved with it, right? Like, my need to be right is like, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I've got this thing right, and uh, you don't, and right, there's, (laughs) but when we can can push that aside, like, now we can get to actually having a conversation about what really matters. (laughs) Well, and I was, I was in the midst of a fight with my husband a couple weeks ago, and at the same time, I was working on this new freebie for my the, the Conflict Queen website, which is blow up postmortem wheel is what I call it. So I'm looking at it and going, yeah, does this relationship matter? Oh, yeah, it does. And then I'm looking, could I have done something better? And it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I look at, can you apologize? And I'm like, yeah, okay, I better follow I better do this. I know better, but it's easy in the moment to get caught in this moral yeah. outrage that's actually an illusion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so I use my own tool and got things back. <laughs> I, lo- I love it when we take our own medicine. I love that. Well, and because the thing is too, I mean, we can only control our own reaction, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, in my divorce situation, right? Like I was lucky that I had a person on the other side of it who was equally as willing to, you know, meet in the middle, right? That's not always the case, (laughs) right? Well, and it's- still have to do what is right and integrous for us, right? And, you know, and it's interesting when I do the consulting work with one spouse, because part of it is figuring out, well, what does this other person need Mm -hmm. in order to feel like they've won? Okay, well, let's figure out how to do that. And so you can be an integrity. And I remember one person, the spouse thought that he needed to be a jerk. He needed to be persecutor. And I'm like, well, we know you're not a jerk. You're a really decent human being. Can you act like that a little bit so we can pull this to settlement? Right. Because she needed that to have closure. Yeah. And it's recognizing how the other person sometimes is going to react and that it's completely, that's who they are. And as you said, you know, staying within your integrity. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know, the common thread that I hear, you know, that we've talked about in this whole conversation has been, you know, leading with the emotions, right? And in any conflict. So Mm -hmm. in, in what you talked about a lot was, you know, leading with the good emotions, right? Like the the positive memories, the things that you are actually in agreement on, the things that, you know, the, the things that have a positive response within you, right? And when you can lead with that and deal with the emotion on the top layer, the other part of any conflict or division becomes a whole lot easier. Yeah. And when somebody says something that you don't like that you're reacting to, a really great response is, oh, I've never thought of it that way before. Tell right. me more. Right. Do not say why, because why puts people's backs up. Just, or, you know, tell me more. Like, I, I'm having, I, I don't understand. I, I, and I want to understand. Help me understand. Tell me more. Yeah. I think I heard you say, be, was it be curious, not furious? Yeah. 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 Be curi- yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for spending this time with me. And for those of you listening who might be in the middle of a conflict, we are going to, I'm going to put the, in the show notes, I'm going to put the links to the blow up postmortem. And then the, also the eight questions that you need to ask yourself and when you're going to ask your husband for divorce. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. And where can people find, if they are looking for conflict mediation, where can people find out more about you and your work? The best website is theconflictqueen.ca. Okay, theconflictqueen.ca. We'll put I'm that in owning, the show notes. I'm owning being Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you. Thank you to everybody listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If this resonated with you, we would love it if you'd give us a rating or review, or even better, pass this along to a friend uh, who might also need to hear this message. So thank you, Kim. and. Until next time. And thank you, Jennifer. It's been it's been a really great conversation. It has. Thanks for having it with me. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in. 